You may be seated. Please turn with me in your bulletins to today's unison reading. And there's a misprint. The reference is wrong, but the passage is correct. The correct reference is Psalm 19, 7 through 11. Please read with me. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. If uh, you were not able to be here, Last Lord's Day, uh, we began a four-part series on the basic disciplines of church vitalization. And uh, in fact, that's why there's a mistake in your bulletin. It said Philippians 4, 4 through 7. That's what we took a look at last week as we were talking about the first discipline of church vitalization, which is preemptive prayer. And we talked about how in all things... We are to pray in everything, every situation, every circumstance, we are to pray. The second discipline is basic Bible, which we're looking at today in our passage in Psalm 19. Uh, next week, we'll look at cost commitment, and the final Sunday in this series will be missional multiplication. And so that's where we're going and where we've been, and... Uh, as we begin to talk about this passage of Scripture today, Psalm 19, uh, I want you to hear a few words from J.I. Packer when he wrote his uh, book back in 1973 entitled Knowing God. He began the preface of that book talking about ignorance and how the church has this great ignorance of God. He said, in fact, ignorance both of His ways and the practice of communion with Him lies at the root of the church's weakness today. It was Packer's contention that this obvious ignorance was the real reason that the church was so ineffective as it was moving ever closer to the end of the 20th century. And I think since this ineffectiveness was obviously true some 40 years ago, how much more accurate that statement must be today. Because you see, if congregations are to prosper and grow healthy, then church members like you and I must be committed to a love for, a knowledge of God's Word. And this is true because God speaks to us through His Word. In fact, Jesus reminds us in John 10 that my sheep hear my voice. Is that really what this book is to you and me? Do we hear the voice of Jesus when we read the Word of God or is it just some dead book? 
that really has very little to say to us or creates very little desire in our hearts and minds to read. You see, that's why the Bible is so important because when a, a congregation listens and follows God's Word, it begins to look like the one it's following. The goal is to reflect His holiness and His love and to bring Him glory through that process. We actually grow in life. We actually grow in vitality as we organize our lives around God's Word. And that's why one of the major disciplines of church vitalization is basic Bible. That's why God says in Deuteronomy 6, you know, when you rise in the morning, when you lie down, when you walk, by the way, you're always supposed to be teaching your children these principles, these precepts, these rules, these truths, because the Bible is God's way of not only speaking to us, but changing our lives. Now, if we wanted to today, we could rehearse the abysmal biblical literacy that we see in the church today. I've told you about how some of our best and brightest college students in this day and time going to wonderful Christian unities, students who have come from churches, have grown up in churches all of their lives. <coughs> Excuse me. how they can't even place well-known books of the Bible in a proper order. You know, to take a book like Genesis, Romans, Revelation, Deuteronomy, they can't just take a simple list like that and put them in the proper order. Over the years, many of us have heard uh, some of these illustrations you know, that talk about biblical literacy, and usually they're in the form of a joke. You know, something like the people, how people think the epistles are the wives of the apostles. I mean, that'd be funny if it weren't true. How about a more personal illustration? Do you know who Barnabas is and why he's important to the growth of the New Testament church and many of the books that comprise our New Testament today. Could you write a couple of paragraphs on that? Where in the Bible do we first learn that Jesus will be victorious over death? Now those aren't hard questions. A more difficult question would be something like explaining the importance of Melchizedek to our understanding of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Now, my intent with this sermon today is not just to tell you that you need to learn Bible facts. Bible facts are important and good to learn, and they can tell us things, but that's not really, really the issue here, it seems to me. Instead, our passage found in Psalm 19 shows us a respect for God's Word. It shows us a love for God's Word, even an admiration. David strikes us as one who has such a love for and belief in God's Word and what it can do to us and for us that he can't keep quiet about it. These words just seem to tumble out 
one right after the other about how truly great God's Word is and the wonderful effects it can have in our lives. And that's what I desire for each person here today, myself included, that like the song in our hymn book, Out of the Old Psalter, we too might say, How I love thy law, O Lord, daily joy its truths afford. Now you may have noticed that David is talking about the law. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Meaning the Torah, meaning the first five books of the Bible. Thank you, ma'am. Okay, David is talking about the law of the Lord, the first five books of the Bible, the so-called Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And you keep hearing me talk about God's Word referring to the whole. I don't have an ethical problem with doing that because God is unchangeable, what theologians call immutable. And that means if one section of God's Word, like the law, is perfect and sure, as David says it is here, it's right and pure, it's clean and true, then all of His Word is. In fact, the Torah would have been most of the Word of God in David's day and time. I mean, think about it. He's making a lot of the history that we're going to read about in the books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. David is putting together many of the Psalms that we have in our book of Psalms. His son Solomon will pull together many of the Proverbs and probably write Ecclesiastes. And on and on we could go. Many of the prophets that are named as books in our Bible, those people haven't lived yet. So the Torah, for the most part, is the Word of God in David's day and time. And ultimately, a verse like 2 Timothy 3.16 settles this issue when it states for us that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that what might happen? So that you and I might be equipped for every good work. So if I use the term God's Word today in this sermon instead of God's law, now you know why. Charles Spurgeon makes an interesting point in his commentary. He talks about that just as Aristotle had two types of writings or books, he had one that was just kind of a, of a general nature for his common listeners, and he had a mother, another much more in-depth one for his private scholars and friends. So God has two types of books, if you will, and David mentions both of them in our, in our psalm today. Now, we didn't read the first part of this psalm, but this psalm begins, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament proclaims His handiwork. The heavens declare God's glory. That is God's first book, the book of creation. 
And Paul tells us in Romans 1 that all people in the world, whether they're believers or unbelievers, can know about God by looking at His creation if they'll take the time to do so. And they can see His eternal power and deity. That's God's first book. And notice as David talks about that, he's talking about a God that is somewhat distant because he says the heavens declare the glory of God, Elohim in the Hebrew. That's the generic name for God. That's the God that's sort of a little far off. But then in our text, David begins to talk about the law of the Lord, not the law of God, not the law of Elohim, the law of the Lord, the law of Yahweh, the God who desires a relationship with His people, the God who initiates covenants. It's the God who brings Himself near to His people. And so that's the second book. God's first book is creation. The second book, the more in-depth book, is His law. It's His Word. It's for the church. It's for His disciples. It's for the people that He has or is calling to himself. And notice that David gives us six descriptors of what God's Word is here in our text. It's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's clean or pure, it's true and righteous. Now think about those words for a moment. It's perfect, meaning without blemish, just like a sacrificial lamb. God's Word is also sure, meaning it's reliable. God never steers us wrong in Scripture. Everything we read in Scripture is right for you and me according to what God wants to see happen in our lives. His Word is right. We need to think the word righteous here. There's nothing twisted or crooked about His Word. And it's clean or pure as some translations have it, but a better way to think about that is bright or radiant in the sense that it brings light. It helps us to know what we're supposed to do. As Psalm 119 puts it, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Scripture shows us exactly where we're supposed to go. And then we read that His rules are true and righteous. In other words, God's will through His Word gives us a sure judgment or description of exactly the way He would have us live each and every day. And then David not only describes God's Word, but he tells us the effects that it can have upon our lives. And notice how we don't see any harshness or stress. There are no burdens here about the way that David is talking about the Word of God. In fact, that's one reason Jesus came down so hard on the religious leaders of His day and time. You may remember His words in Matthew 23 where He says, "...the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not..." what they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and and lay them on men's shoulders. Jesus was talking about how the scribes and Pharisees had made the law a burden. 
for God's people. They had turned it in to a burden. Jesus knew that the law was good. Jesus knew that the law had all of these good effects that we read about here in Psalm 19 and more. That's why he said in the Sermon on the Mount, I've come not to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. Jesus is a fulfillment of God's Word. In fact, Jesus is the Word. And that's why we see such wonderful effects in our lives from God's Word. And this first one is why this passage should really speak to us as we're talking about church revitalization. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. You see what that means? That means wherever sin has taken you or me, and it may have taken us a long way away from God, His Word helps us to return. Scripture helps us turn back to God, and this is not simply an outward turning, but as as Spurgeon puts it in his commentary, the soul is moved and renewed. Paul makes this same point in 1 Corinthians 7, speaking about how those in Corinth were moved to a godly grief and repentance when they read His words to them. That's what God's Word can do to us. We have those words in our Bible. Or we can speak about this in another way. Remember how Hebrews 4 teaches us that the Word of God is is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you hear what that really means? This living and active word reaches into the depths of our lives and lays us bare before God. It exposes who we really are to God. This confrontation that we have with this so-called sword of the Spirit allows God to see us inside out. The question is whether we realize it and by His grace join Him in this investigation of our hearts, our, our true spiritual condition so fully exposed by His Word. And don't just look at that negatively. I mean, I know that's what jumps into our minds. You mean God's Word totally exposes me? I don't want God to see what I really am. I've got too much sin in my heart. I don't want God to see that. We're afraid of that because of what God will find, and we know what He finds will not be good. And you know, that's what Paul talks about in Romans 7. He talks about how the very things that I hate, that's what I end up doing in life. And the good things, the the things I should be doing, are the things I fail to do. I know that's the negative part of what I'm saying here, but look at the positive side of this journey. We actually become real before God. 
All of the facades we build so carefully are totally gone and this is when we draw closer to God. This is the kind of process through which we go in order to grow in our relationship with Him. I mean, think about your own personal friendships. Those people you are most honest with are those to whom you're the closest. It works the same way in our spiritual lives and God's Word helps accomplish this through the power of His Holy Spirit. And His Word does so much more. We don't have time this morning but to simply mention the other things David talks about here. How God's Word brings wisdom. It helps us to walk on the wise path in life instead of the foolish. It will save us from so much if we just read it and follow it. How it brings, it rejoices the heart it brings light. It's more valuable than those things the world desires. It gives ample warning to us and brings great reward. You see, there are no burdens there. The law does wonderful things. The Word of God does all kinds of neat things for us if we use it in the way in which it's intended. Now, since all of this and more is true, what do we do with this good news? Well, we need to follow the example of the Jews in Berea. And you're going to think, who in the world is that? Well, if you look at Acts 17, we see that Paul and Silas somehow ended up in that town. And as is their normal custom, they first went to the Jewish synagogue. And as Luke writes that 17th chapter there, he says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They were in the Word of God each and every day. And that's exactly where we need to be so that we become familiar with God's Word. And as we become familiar with His will for our lives and what He says about who He is, we become more familiar with Him. We actually know Him and we, we're, we're energized to know the things to do as we're faced with situations in life. You know, to know something, it, it takes time. And it normally takes some help along the way. For the past two years or so, I've been working on an old British sports car. And I've become familiar with a great deal of how this car is put together and how it operates. I can take fenders off and doors off and put them back on and all that sort of thing. I've had the whole interior out of it, all the way down to the floor pans, dash instruments out of it. I've taken everything out of that car except for the engine, the transmission, and the rear end. And I've replaced numerous parts on it. But for all my familiarity, there are still some things I don't know and understand. And for that, I've had David Stevenson, one of our members, come alongside of me. I tell people I'm a parts changer. David is a mechanic. He knows what he's doing. And David's helped me understand that brake system and has helped with some things I've never done before in my life, like change 
uh, front wheel bearings and that sort of thing. Now that's more than you wanted to know, but what's my point? My point is that just like I've become familiar with that car by spending time working on it, so can you become familiar with God's Word just by spending time working on it, working in it, reading it, making it a part of your daily habit and routine. I know that this book is like a foreign book to some of you. I mean, it's just like reading another language when you read in there. And you really find that it it doesn't say a whole lot to you, but you need to pray that God through His Holy Spirit, you see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and helps us do the things we can't do. And that's what God through the Holy Spirit is all about. His title in Greek, paraclete, P-A-R-A, that prefix, what does it mean? It means alongside of. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. And he comes alongside and interprets God's Word to us and not only helps us know what that Word's saying, but then empowers us to apply it in our daily living. That's what he does. But not only do we have the Holy Spirit, we also have pastors and teachers to come alongside of us and help us. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4 when he's talking about the gifts that Christ has given to his church. He says his gifts were that some should be pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, that's what this book is all about. It's about the knowledge of the Son of God. John gives John 5 gives us the words of Jesus Himself. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to Me. The Scriptures bear witness to Jesus Christ. You see what that means? They help us to know who Jesus is. They help us to know who God is. They help us to know who the Holy Spirit is and what He can do in our lives. And so we need to spend time in Scripture so that we can know God, can know Jesus Christ, can know the Holy Spirit who makes known to us even the depths of God according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.10. You want to know the depths of God? That's what the Holy Spirit helps us to understand in our own lives as we're laid bare before Him. And this lifestyle will lead to something else. As, you, as we spend time in Scripture, we come to see that it's not just some collection of 66 books written over a period of hundreds and hundreds of years, but it's one huge, great, wonderful love story of redemption that God has for you and me and all the world in the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, and how we fit into that story. David says, this book, this Bible that's so accessible to you and me is more desirable than gold. It's more valuable for living than gold is. That's 17 
$1,500 an ounce. The question is, do we believe that? The question is, is there evidence to convict us of that truth? That this, this Bible is more valuable than gold. I should have weighed this to see what it would be worth. It would be thousands and thousands of dollars because this thing weighs about two or three pounds. And yet it's worth more than anything we can find in this world. May God bless us with a love and a growing desire for His Word and to put it into practice each day so that we might say, like the psalmist, how I love your law, O Lord. Daily joy, its truths bring into my life and into yours. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we do thank you for this time of worship today, a time to focus on your holy word and what it means to us, what you tell us about this word at this one particular point in Scripture in Psalm 19. We thank you for this, this passage and for the way that it reminds us of all of these many positives that your word does for us in life. We thank you that it's perfect and revives our soul. We thank you for the way that it brings wisdom, the way that it's righteous and provides light for our paths. And we're thankful for the many other wonderful effects that we can read about your word all through Scripture. For the way that it's profitable for teaching and training, for reproof and correction for the way in which your word through the work of Jesus Christ brings grace to bear upon this world. We're thankful for the good news of the gospel of Jesus and the way that you saw fit to reveal that at the proper time. And we pray that you would help us to hear his voice unto us in the Bible. And we pray that you would create within our hearts a real desire and a real love for your word that we might have this same kind of admiration that David has. That we might not only carry our Bibles but use them so that they wear out, that pages are falling out and the covers coming off because we've been in your word so much. Dear Father, we pray that you would help us to be those kinds of disciples of the Lord Jesus. 
that we might be equipped for every good work. And we thank you for the way in which you call us to those works each and every day and pray that you'll find us faithful in them. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We do want to reaffirm our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. They're printed for you in your bulletin. Let's stand together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our last song can be found in your Blue Psalters, number 161, God's Perfect Law. us.
And now the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, and the blessing of God Almighty, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you this day and remain with you forevermore. Amen.